0: Tonight we're going to be in the book of Galatians, and before we get started, just as I was talking about, how many of you guys know Jay? Jay Carter. A lot of people, yeah. Normal guy. Um, So he works in the creative department with Dan and I, and uh, you know when you spend 50 hours a week, 40-50 hours a week with the same people, you start to really understand the intricacies and the, the quirks that people have. And uh, one of the things that I never really noticed about Jay before was his inability to remember song lyrics. And part of our job is listening to music, remembering songs, leading worship, all this stuff, and he just always gets them wrong. And I never realized it before, and a couple weeks ago we we were listening to songs, talking through songs, and we were talking about doing this song, Faith and Wonder, and Jay was like, oh my gosh, dude, I love this song. This is my favorite song. I've listened to it like a thousand times. And I was like, oh, yeah, all right. That's, thank you. And so we, we kept listening to the song, and the song ended. And if you have spent any time with Jay before, like every five minutes, he's ripping runs, like crazy gospel runs, or just singing, or yelling, or doing whatever he wants. And he's singing in our office, and he's like, uh, this name that shakes the mountaintops the only thing that breaks the curtains off. And I was like, what, what, what did you sing? And he was like, the name that breaks the curtains off, like so confident. And I was like, I don't think that's how the song goes. And he was like, um, okay, well, this is my favorite song. And uh, I've listened to it like a thousand times. And so thank you for your opinion, but, but you're wrong. And I was like, okay. Well can then why don't you explain to me how the thing that breaks the curtains off makes sense at all? And he's like, all right, well, you know the, the veil? was kinda like a curtain. And Jesus' death on the cross, and then the curtain tore and the, the veil was lifted and it tore the curtains off. So and I was like, I was like, how did you do that? Like, how did that somehow make any sense at all to where I'm like, wait, are those the words? (laughs) And so we listened to this song, and it's the word that breaks the curses off. And then we just started laughing hysterically, and we were like both confused. And it started to get me thinking about what we do with scripture sometimes and how we hear these scriptures over and over, and they become our favorite scriptures, but they're out of context, or we learn it wrong. And so we start to live it out practically wrong. You know, and I think there are some things that we miss out on, some truths in Scripture because we don't understand them all the way. You know, and one, one of the Scriptures, and it's what we're going to be going through tonight, is uh, in Galatians, and it's the Scripture about Jesus setting us free. You know, we tend to misunderstand that and we think sometimes, like, since I've been bound by this thing before, since I've struggled through this thing for so long, it's always going to be a part of my identity. But Jesus says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? And when we receive the freedom that God gives us through the completed work of the cross, it causes those problems that we've had, these things that we've dealt with for so long, to lose their power. And that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight is the freedom, again, that we have in Christ. So we're gonna be in Galatians chapter five, and this is Paul addressing the church of Galatia on what it looks like to have a biblically accurate relationship with Christ. In looking at the first chapter of Galatians, you don't have to turn there, but it's Paul calling out the church for believing in this false gospel, right? And he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in grace to Christ, this is verse six, you don't have to turn there, chapter one, to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And Paul's warning the church to beware of making themselves an authority over scripture instead of living under the authority of, of what God's word says. Because in in reality, we can do one of two things, right? We can place ourselves on top of what God says. We can twist it. We can twist the word. And we can shape and mold it into what we want it to say. You know, like, oh, Philippians 4.13, praise God. I'll receive that all day. And we highlight things. We star them. We underline them. Then we get to tougher sections of scripture where it's like, hey, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, and we're like, mm-mm, I'm gonna just tear that out of there because that is too hard. Or we can submit to the authority of what God's word says and live under all of the promises that God gives, live under grace, live under freedom, live under sonship, live under adoption. So tonight as we look at this chapter, we're gonna break it down into two sections. And the first section is, is what it looks like to be in bondage to legalism. And the second is what it looks like to be in bondage to sin. So let's pray, and we'll get started. God, we thank you so much to be able to be here tonight, to relate our lives through the lens of Scripture to see what it looks like to be truly free in Jesus Christ. God, as we look at this, I just pray that you would soften our hearts to hear your word, to hear the truth of who you say we are over who we say we are. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in afresh tonight. We ask that you come and do what only you can do. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And real quick, just a brief backstory of the, the context of the chapter. So Paul left the church of Galatia. And then, as we saw in chapter 1, verse 6, a, a very short time later, this false gospel of circumcision has crept into the church of the Galatians. And they started to believe this, this, uh, this fallacy that if they were circumcised, it somehow made them more righteous in in the eyes of the Lord. And it was a first step into this relationship with God. And so Paul comes out in verse 1 and he says, Stand fast. Therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And how many people in here tonight know that you're free? Uh, Okay, it's something that we can get excited about, right? Okay, thank you. Let's go. All right, so we're going to do something real quick. Why don't you turn to a couple people. If you have to stand up, you can, and tell them that they're free. All right, same thing. Why don't you turn to somebody else and remind them tonight that they're free? (laughs) Still free, yeah. So it's exciting to get, it's okay to get excited about freedom, but we have to remember the context of this, this, this scripture. And there's a second half of verse one. And Paul says, and do not be entangled with the yoke of bondage, right? And the yoke of bondage in this section is a a yoke of legalism. And Paul comes out with this really great challenge for the church of Galatia, and he says, stand fast. And what he's saying is that it takes effort to stay in a place of liberty, okay? And someone who is made free in Jesus Christ can also get themselves back into a place of bondage, You know, we just turned to our neighbors, we made this declaration about, you're free, I'm free, people were laughing. But if we're honest, there are things in our lives that have crept back in, that have taken control of who we are, and we're living under the yoke of bondage of some of these things, aren't we? And Paul's saying, guys, we're in a battle always with our flesh, and we have to learn how to stand firm in the freedom that Christ and Christ alone has given us and understand what that means. Because if we don't understand what it means every time a false teaching comes in or, or a prosperity gospel or a lie of the enemy, we're gonna get run over time and time again because we're not based in truth. And if you're a believer in here tonight, like, do you understand that it's possible for Christ to come and set us free and for us to get us ourselves back into a place of living in bondage of living in sin and we see this all the time right we see believers with no joy no fruit in their lives they're bitter they're angry but they claim to be believers and bondage looks different for everyone right your bondage tonight could be anxiety it could be bitterness it could be anger It could be fear, it could be doubt, it could be lust, it could be a number of things. But that's not who God calls us to be. God wants us to be free from all these things. And last time I checked, we know the end of the story, right? We've read the book from cover to cover. We know what happens in the end. And the end is us reigning alongside Christ for eternity. And that's the hope that Paul is reminding us of. Paul is saying, guys, tonight that false doctrine creates false guilt, okay? But true doctrine is the way that we, we can receive true freedom. And as we continue in this chapter, we'll see Paul give us ways that we can live in freedom. And in verse 2, he says, "'Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law.'" You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. I want to clarify real quick, this is not really about circumcision, okay? But Paul is addressing the believers in Galatia that were getting circumcised again as a first step to salvation, which ultimately leads to a works-based faith, right? If I do all these things, if I abide by all these rules, if I follow these steps, then God can save me. You know, and and Laura, my wife, and I went to Israel in February, and we're standing at the Wailing Wall, and there's a gate at the Wailing Wall, and you have to put on a yarmulke, and cover your arms, and do a number of different things before they allow you to go and pray at the wall. And I, I just, like, had this real heavy spirit the whole time of, like, man, like, the, it, it felt heavy, it felt oppressed when we were in Israel, and I just started praying at the gate, and I was like, do I, do I want to go pray down at the wall? And, the Lord, and literally, it's one of the times where I feel like I've heard the Lord speak most clearly to me in my life, and he was like, you don't have to do all of these things anymore to achieve my favor or to come and pray to me, because the, you are a mobile temple, right? The Holy Spirit is living inside of us, and we have the freedom this freedom that Christ has given us through his death and and resurrection on the cross so that we don't have to follow all these rules anymore. That we have the ability wherever we are to pray and seek after the Lord. And I love what Paul says here and he just calls him out and says, if you're doing these things, if you're living in the law, then Christ will benefit you nothing because you've missed the point. See, because the system of the law and the system of grace are incompatible. The two can't exist together. And in this context, again, the the Church of Galatia is using this ritual of circumcision, circumcision to say, like, I'm following the rules. I'm closer to God than you are. And I love what Calvin says about this. He says, whoever wants to have a half Christ loses the whole. When we are living by the law, We're taking ownership of our salvation and we're belittling the sacrifice of Christ. So we're losing out on the whole of Christ. And in Romans 6, it says, sin shall no longer have dominion over you because we do not live under the law, but we live under grace. See, because when we forsake Christ again and we embrace the law, then Christ's sacrifice is worthless to us. And Luther put it this way. He said, tongues cannot express nor heart conceive what a terrible thing it is to make Christ worthless. So Paul's saying if you live by the law, you have to live by the whole law. Does anyone know how many laws there were in the, the Mosaic law? That's what Paul's talking about here. 613. I feel like I heard a few people say it. 613 laws. Okay? So Paul says when we cheapen the grace of Christ that allows us to live in freedom, then we have to follow all of these laws all the time. But the issue is, is when we fall short of those laws, what what do we do, right? And so then Paul drops this bomb and we're gonna see in this chapter, like Paul doesn't care about anybody's opinions. He's just trying to keep the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ. And he says, if you're doing these things and you've become estranged to Christ, In our albeit failed attempt to justify ourselves through the law, we fall from grace. And in the original Greek translation, it says we've fallen out of grace. Okay, because when we're living and believing and trusting in the sacrifice of Christ, we're living under the the covering of grace that Christ has given us. But when we try and do it ourselves, we're falling out of the grace that Christ gives us, that Christ offers to us. And see, the danger here really isn't, it's not a moral failing or falling in the sense of our conduct and how we, we act, but the failure is the inability to rely on the Holy Spirit and on the grace of God every day, every hour, every minute, every second of our lives. And as I read this passage, you know, it really challenged me uh, just being in, in ministry and Am I checking boxes in my relationship with the Lord? Like, am I being legalistic? Like, every time I read the Bible, am I reading it because I feel like I have to or because I I want to, you know? Am I praying to the Lord out of obligation or out of this this sense of faith and wonder? Every time I lead worship, like, am I really expecting of God to do something incredible or am I just here giving lip service? You know, and we can come to church all the time, sit through church, it's Wednesday night, and maybe you're in here tonight, and you're here because you come to church on Wednesday. But like, are we really expectant of God to do an incredible work in and through us tonight? Are we trusting in the Spirit, not checking our boxes? Living in surrender and expectation. You know, and legalism today doesn't necessarily look like like circumcision like we were talking about but it's still real in the church. It's prevalent in our society. And some ways to know that you're living in legalism is, is if you do have a box system of like, oh, I have to do all, if I do all these things, then I'll be closer to the Lord because I checked my boxes, right? If you f- constantly find yourself comparing yourself to others, you're living in the bondage of legalism, If you find yourself feeling ashamed and unworthy of the love of God, you're living in legalism, okay? If you're always feeling exhausted and guilty and trying to strive to make things happen on your own, you're living in legalism. And just because we can mentally say like, oh God, I believe that you've set me free, amen, I receive that all the time, like doesn't mean that it's connected to our hearts, right? In John chapter 32, it says, then you will know the truth, and the truth what? Will set you free, right. We know the scripture, see what I'm saying? But the word for know in the Greek in that section is ginosko. And what it means is it's, it's more than a head knowledge. It's this interpersonal knowledge of knowing in our hearts that we're free, from bondage through the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, right? In verse five, he says, for we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but it's faith working through love. And the thought of, of waiting eagerly for the hope of righteousness is Paul saying, guys, freedom takes time. You know, there's some instances in our lives where we we feel like we're oppressed or we're living in bondage and these things are happening in our lives and like, bam, we're free and it's these incredible testimonies, but other other times it's a grind, guys. It's a process, it takes time. And the definition for eager here is wanting to do or have something very much. And I just love how beautifully simple that is. Like, I want nothing more. I'm waiting eagerly to be righteous through the uh, through through Christ, right? And in verse 6 Paul says, "In Christ, literally none of this stuff matters. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised, if you're uncircumcised, neither one benefit you any more than the other. But the travesty comes, the injustice comes when we put our faith in our hope in something other than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in our works, in our jobs, and making people happier, whatever have you. And he goes on in verse seven and he says, "'You ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? "'This persuasion does not come to him who calls you. "'A little leaven leavens the whole lump. "'I have confidence in you, in the Lord, "'that you will have no other mind, "'but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, "'whoever he is.'" And Paul's saying, guys, remember how you started. Like, remember when you were full of faith, you were full of wonder. Like, what happened? What pulled your attention away from the truth? Was it fear? Was it doubt? Because remember, Paul said, like, I, I just left. What's happening? And I think it's a reminder that the, that the things that we've struggled with, that we hold on to, can sometimes become crutches in our lives in, in unfamiliar times. And Paul's addressing the believers in Galatia. And again, this lie that, that false teachers are bringing. And he's saying, guys, you have to be careful because when we believe false doctrine, that has the ability to snowball into this thing and wreck our lives because the truth of what we know is skewed, right? And those things have no place reigning over us. And some of you guys are looking at verse nine and you're like, Levin, like, what is this guy talking about? First of all, I'm gluten-free and just reading this sentence hurts my stomach, Okay. But Paul's just using a cultural example here of how things that seem like a small deal now have the ability to creep in and ruin the whole, right? But he says, but I have confidence in your knowledge of the truth that you will not be swayed and that those people who are false teaching will be judged accordingly. It's it's God's job to judge them, right? And I, brethren, in verse 11, if I still preach circumcision, then why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. See, the whole point of Jesus dying on the cross is to say like, guys, you can't do it on your own, and you can strive, and you can try, but you're hopeless without me. I have to die in your place in order to give you hope. And when we trust in legalism, we have a tendency to, at least in part, belittle that sacrifice and take on our our own identity and try and do it on our own. And this takes away from the offense of the cross, is what Paul's saying, which honestly should always offend the fallen man, that Jesus would come and die in our place because for some reason he thought that we were worth it. I don't know why. But in, in a sense, the offense of the cross here is really the glory of the cross, okay? And legalism takes that glory away from the cross, Because the beauty of the cross is in God's choosing to send his son to die on a cross so that we can be called worthy in the sight of the Lord. And in verse 12, he says, I could wish that those those who troubled you would even cut themselves off. And I'm going to be honest. You can read it and interpret it yourself. We're going to keep it PG-13 tonight or G or whatever you want. But basically, Paul's saying that if in the eyes of the law, a little sacrifice means that you're more righteous than other people, then don't just give me lip service. Why don't you just become a eunuch and let's see you do it. We're like, dang, Paul, we know you had a past, but why are you for real acting like this? But this is what I was talking about. Paul for real doesn't care about offending people or calling people out of their sin as long as the gospel of Christ remains true to be the gospel of Christ. Paul's crazy, I'm telling you guys, he's crazy. (laughs) In verse 13, he says, "'For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another.'" And he says, "'For you, brethren, have been called to liberty.'" And Paul's making this point over and over and over again that the Christian life is a life of freedom. It's a life of liberty. And Jesus came to set the captives free and keep them free, not to set them free and then lead them back into bondage, right? And it's worth asking when we look at ourselves, do people see me as a person who's living in freedom? Because as Christians, a lot of times, we have a tendency to be more wound up and bound up and run our lives tighter than anyone else, right? That's the perception of the world. And I think a misunderstanding a lot of people have when they read scripture and they look at God is they're like, oh man, God is this like, power-hungry, rule-setting, like wants to limit my life and not let me have any fun kind of God. When in reality, when we look at the rules that God puts in place, it's to give us more immeasurable amounts of freedom. Oh, come on, I'm, come on, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> But even these rules and regulations, again, that God does set in place are to, give, to let us live a life that's a life lived in the abundance of freedom. And we're going to say this together because the breath of Christian life, the breath of Christian life, we'll say it, the breath of Christian life is freedom. Nothing else. It's freedom. Paul put it this way earlier in the chapter. They have been made free by Christ now they are called to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. The last time I taught, uh, I taught on Exodus 14, which is um, Moses going to Pharaoh, freeing the Israelites. He's like, hey, Pharaoh, God wants you to free the Israelites. Pharaoh's like, no. And and then uh, Moses is like, hey, well, then, like, these plagues are going to come against you. And Pharaoh's like, well, let's see it then. And then all these plagues come against him. And then he ends up setting the Israelites free. And they're like, yeah, like, this is awesome. We're free. We get to not be in slavery or in bondage anymore. We get to, like, live our lives, right? And then a few verses later, they're, like, walking through the desert. And their whole persona changes. And they're like, this is hard, Like, it would have been, literally they say, like, it would have been much better for us to die in captivity than to be out here in freedom. And see, the hard part for us isn't the deliverance from our sin, but it's the ability to walk in freedom every day. And we see God in that, that section of Exodus 14 deliver the children of Israel swiftly, but then he begins this process of taking their habits, taking the things that they've been dealing with in Egypt out of them, right? Because true, fe- true freedom feels foreign. And we'd rather stay enslaved to something that's been detrimental to our life for so long than embrace something new and something fresh. We'd rather stay in a place that's comfortable, that we're familiar with, that we have control over, that we don't have to trust anyone but ourselves, and miss out on what God wants to do in our lives. And I'm talking to myself and I'm talking to somebody in this room for sure. And Paul's saying that with freedom comes a choice. Either we can choose to believe what Christ has done and live our lives out of a place of gratitude, okay? Or we can accept grace and use grace as an excuse for why we sin. Like, oh, I'm already forgiven for for that. I can do whatever I want because God's grace is sufficient for me and that's just not the case. You know, and Paul immediately gives us this antidote on how to combat this, and it's by serving one another, by being selfless, and being in relationship with one another. Because when the law, when we love one another, the law is fulfilled. It's not by being selfish. It's not by trying to do our own thing remember what John 13 says, it says, they will know you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. So how do we overcome this bondage of legalism? By being in community, by talking to each other, by confiding in one another, by being honest, by letting people in to our lives. We have a small group that, that meets at our house on Sunday nights, and, uh, Me and Jay and uh, Pete and a couple other of the guys, we see each other a lot and every time we see each other, we're like, hey, how are you doing? And every time without fail, it's like, I'm doing great, brother, how are you doing? Thanks for asking. And we're, it was just a formality for a while. You know, then we start having small group and like we'd get to prayer requests and it's like, you find out people's lives are falling apart and you find out that, that people are struggling with things on a daily basis and we kept being like, I just asked you how you were, and you said you were fine. He was like, well, yeah, I lied. Yeah, I just didn't, I didn't want you to know. And so we started doing this thing where we'd be like, hey, how are you doing? And without fail, still to this day, every time, it's like, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for asking. And then we started asking like this follow-up question, like, are you sure? And it's like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm not sure. (laughs) My life is a wreck right now. Like, I could really use some help and some prayer and what well, Paul's reminding us in this section of scripture is, is, guys, everyone struggles, and that's okay, but we have to be vulnerable. We have to be honest, and we have to let people in so that people can walk alongside us through our challenges. And so now we'll kind of transition verse 16 to the looking at the bondage of the flesh. And Paul says in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And Paul's saying, guys, we gotta walk in the Spirit. We're not walking in accordance to the law anymore, so the steps that we take every day in our life have to be in reliance of following after the Holy Spirit's leadings. Our position, the posture of our hearts has to always be wanting to follow after the Holy Spirit, but also taking the steps of faith to walk through those leadings and see what God has for us. And see, like we talked about earlier, we're always at war with our flesh, but what Paul's saying is, is where the flesh reigns in our lives, the Spirit can't abide. They're contrary to one another. Where the flesh reigns in our lives, the Spirit can't abide. You know, think about it just as there, there can be no darkness and an abundance of light, right? The two can't exist together. And another way to have liberty, to have freedom from the things that we struggle with is relate them to truth, to put them through the lens of Scripture. That's why we have this, this book, this truth. And I absolutely, absolutely love what Luther says about this. He says, when the flesh begins to cut, because it's dirty, right? We're, we're at war with our flesh every day. When the flesh begins to cut, when the flesh begins to cut up, the only remedy is to take the sword of the Spirit, the word of salvation, and fight against the flesh. If you set the word out of sight, you're helpless against the flesh. And I know this to be a fact because I have been assailed by many violent passions, but as soon as I took hold of some scripture passage, my temptations left me. Without the word I could not have helped myself against the flesh. He's saying without what? Without the word. The word is what? A lamp into our feet, a light into our path. It's what keeps us following after the leadings of the Lord. We're not bound by slavery anymore, right? Because the spirit lives inside of us. We're not fearful, we're fearless. We're not orphans, we're adopted. We're sons and daughters. And this is the reason why Jesus live leaves us with his spirit. You know, a lot of times uh, we think, oh man, if I just could have talked to Jesus, like if I could have just seen him raise someone from the dead, I'm telling you what, I'd believe. We're like, well, duh. <laughs> oh, if I could have talked to a disciple or if I could have just seen, seen what they were seeing every day, like it'd make my life so much easier. And Jesus is saying, no, guys, what I've left with you is so much more powerful than these things. It's living inside of you. It's a part of you. It's breathing with you. I've left a part of me inside of you, and you have to learn to trust it because the antidote to living in our flesh isn't the law. It's God's grace and his power at working us through the Holy Spirit. And this switches what camp we identify ourselves with, right? right? We can either live according to the outer influence of the the world, Or we can live in accordance to the inner influence of what God is speaking to us, what God is directing us, what God is guiding us through. And he goes on in verse 19 and he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentiousness, jealousness, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. So why don't we take a a second, we'll turn to our neighbor and tell him which one of these sins we most recently committed. No, I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not going to do that. That would make a really, the people you sit by every Wednesday would make that relationship pretty awkward. And he goes on to say, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, some of your hearts are still racing because you thought we were really going to do that. It's okay. We're going to refocus. But Paul is saying that beforehand there, it points to Paul having this conversation with them before, right? Like, guys, come on, we've been over this. We're not living a life abstaining from these things out of our obligation, but we're living our life abstaining the, from these things out of, out of living in, in gratitude, right? And he goes on and he says, Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God you read that and you might like be like, oh yeah, what, what about it? But Paul is for real just dropping bombs over here. Like he does not care. Paul is saying that if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's saying that if we live continuously in sin, because that word practice here is in the present tense, right? If we practice these things on a continuous basis, then we will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what Paul's doing is he's clarifying that there's a real difference between isolated incidents of sin and living in sin. I'll say that again. There's a difference between isolated incidents of sin and living in sin. And Paul's saying again, that there's a difference between struggling with sin and struggling with different things or accepting sin as a part of our identity because we're, we're just done trying to fight. And some of you may read this and think, well, oh man, I was jealous today. Like, oh, I, I uh, did have an outburst of wrath. Like, I did commit murder in my heart. And if that's you, like, we were gonna pray after this. <laughs> I do have idols in my life, whatever it may be in, in your life tonight. Does that mean I'm not saved? And the difference is, is our attitude when we go to approach these things, right? Are we living, is our attitude, a life of wanting to be humble and repentant when we do sin versus being accepting of a life lived in compromise? And I was trying to think of an example of what this looks like in my own life, but it turns out I have it together too much, so I couldn't think of anything. So I thought of my wife, and uh, (laughs) she told me I could say this. It's okay. It's fine. Um, But there's something in my wife's life that she's accepted as a part of her identity, And, and we've been together for almost nine years, and I'm like, for nine years, she has just struggled with this thing, and I've experienced it one time in my own life, and I'm like, never again will I go through that. Like never again will I suffer through that. And you know my wife identifies herself as a runner, and she just literally she just runs. No one's chasing her. Like the the ice cream truck did not drive by. She just like puts on running clothes, and like is opens the door, and she's like, I'm going for a run. I'm like, where are you going? She's like, just for a run. She literally literally leaves our house and just starts running only to return sometime later back at our house, sweatier than when she left, (laughs) and I don't get it. And she's been begging me for like nine years, like, please come on and run with me. And Paula would have been so proud of me, I'm telling you, because for nine years I abstained from doing that. But she finally got me. It was like three or four weeks ago. I'm like, you know what? I'll do it. Like I'm feeling good today. So we go on this run. 30 seconds in. I'm like, this is great. Like I'm out with my wife. It's it's beautiful outside. We're just running. And then these things that I've been thinking about for so long like started to like creep back in. I'm like, where are we going? why are we running? And and I think that some of you guys will be surprised to know that when it was over, no, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And I will never allow that to be a part of who I am ever again. And I'm not saying that running is a sin in any way, but I've looked running in its face and I've said, get behind me, Satan, because you will not be a part of my identity. All right, come on, somebody. (laughs) I know it's an extended metaphor, but look, that's the difference that Paul's making, okay? For me, running is 100% an isolated incident, and it ain't going to happen again, okay? <laughs> but my wife, it's in a part of who she is, and, and, and she, she does it on a regular basis. You know, and one of the ways that we see this play out in Scripture is with the life of David, right? We see, we see the Bible, or God called David uh, a man after his own heart, a man after God's own heart, But we see David get into an adulterous relationship. He then proceeds to lie about it, and then he for real kills the guy. But he didn't allow that to define who he was. He approached the Lord in humility and in repentance, and we see God do this incredible work of restoration in the life of David. And so ask yourself tonight, like, what am I still dealing with? Like, what do I need To ask for prayer for? What do I need to tell somebody? What do I need the Lord to set me free from tonight? Guys, this is important. Listen to this. Because a grace that doesn't change us can't save us. I'll say it again. (laughs) A grace that doesn't change us can't save us. Because when we encounter the real grace of Christ, There's a life change, a heart change that comes not out of obligation, but out of gratitude. He goes on, and he says, but the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And as I was studying this, I I noticed for the first time, and maybe you've, you've noticed this before, and maybe I'm making something out of nothing, but I think that it's really cool, the language that Paul chooses to use here when he's, when he's describing the works of the flesh, the things that we strive for that benefit us nothing, as opposed to the fruit of the Spirit, which we get by, by believing, by the, receiving the Holy Spirit, right? And all of these things that Paul gives to us, or that the Lord gives to us, and how they, they give us a life of nourishment of purpose and they sustain us and I love what Paul says when he wraps up that section and he says against these things there is no law and that's an understatement right Paul saying like if you're too kind if you're too gentle if you're too patient like no one's gonna judge you for those things they may think that living a life uh, in accordance with with these things feels like captivity, but, but Paul's saying that when we practice these things, when we base our life around these things, we find true freedom and we find true purpose. He goes on in verse 24, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envy, or envy, envying one another." And Paul's like, hey guys, your sin, your shortcomings, like there's a place for those things and it's crucified on the cross with Jesus Christ and we need to remember that because some of us have been carrying around our sins and all these things for way too long and making them a banner over our lives instead of living under the banner of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And Paul could have used any other word here other than crucified, but I think he used crucified on purpose because he knows that it's messy. He knows that the, crucifix- or the, the crucifixion of our sins is a hard thing. Leaving them at the cross is a hard thing. But every day we have a choice to live our lives as who we want to be. And the passions and the desires that we have, Paul's like, just stop it. Because your identity isn't in who you were or what your sin issue is or what you struggle with. It's in who Jesus says you are, and he calls us free, Right? And some of us in here have been living under our sin instead of living under the hope and freedom that Jesus Christ gives us. We need to stop living under the ownership of our sin and we need to start living under the ownership of Jesus. Have you noticed that we, we do this all the time, right? We say things like, oh, my anxiety, my bitterness, my anger. Um, the list goes on and on, right? But my, 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 my. And every time we do that, we're associating our identity with our sin and undermining the authority and the grace that Jesus has given us. See, we have to remember that, that God promises us ultimate victory. And, and even though battles are raging, storms are going on, we know the end, like we said earlier. And we have to stop wrapping our identity in our struggles stop belittling the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and start walking in the freedom that Jesus has called us to. See, because when we align our path, when we align the path of our life and focusing on the Spirit and walking in step with the Spirit, we're able to put to death the struggles of sin and of the flesh. You know, our, our life needs to be so reliant on the Holy Spirit so confident in what he's doing, who He's, who, who Jesus has called us to be, that our fear falls away. And Paul ends the chapter with a warning. You know, he's saying that, that as we get more comfortable in our relationship, and as we continue to walk with God, we can't become conceited. You know, the things that we believe, the things that we think Scripture says, we have to keep relating them back through the lens of Scripture always, because some of the things that we believe have been twisted over the years, and we're living in bondage to those things instead of freedom of the truth. For example, the legalists in, in the first section that we were talking about, and then looking down on people who they thought were less righteous than them, right? Or you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're looking at people's lives and you're comparing your life to their life and thinking like, oh, if my life looked like this, if my walk looked like this, if only these things didn't happen in my life, then everything would be fine. Either way, you're missing out. And I truly believe that everyone has a tendency to fall into one or, or both of these categories. Whether it's, again, it's legalism and you're living a life where you're checking boxes you you see Christianity as a rule book and you're thinking, oh, if I follow all these rules, then God will save me. And if you're in that camp tonight and you're tired of the way that you've been living, like I'd encourage you, don't neglect the work of the cross. Don't forsake or neglect the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let go of the routine of religion and embrace the grace that God so freely gives. And if you're in the other camp tonight, and you're living in the bondage of sin, I'd encourage you to come up for prayer, talk to somebody, because sins that stay in the dark tend to slowly become our identity, right? The things that we hide from the world, the things that we we try so hard to not let out, those are the things that tend to consume who we are. In this whole chapter, Paul's really pointing us towards an examination of our own hearts, and we tend to think a lot of times, like if my circumstances get better, if if this season of my life—such a Christian term too—if this season ends, like then everything will be fine, and and my life will be better. But the reality is, is the things that we're dealing with—they're not circumstantial; they're internal issues that we have to seek the Lord on. Because healing comes when we seek the Spirit of God. And if you're in here tonight again and you have a struggle that you're over, this sin issue that you've been hiding for so long or something that you just want prayer for, like come and receive prayer. Tell somebody. Tell the person next to you, maybe don't sit next to him next week. (laughs) Come and take communion. Take some time to reflect on the Lord's sacrifice and what, what communion means. Renew your covenant with the Lord that you're committed to walking in freedom that you're grateful, that you're thankful for the sacrifice on the cross. Take some time to yourself. You know, I'm going to end with this tonight. But back in uh, medieval times, one of the things that they would do in in castles is uh, they would hang banners, right? And whoever the ruler was, whoever the the king of, of these different kingdoms or Cities or whatever, they'd put up these banners all around the castle to let people know who the owner of that castle was, right? And when they went to war, they would battle, and, and whoever lost, whoever, whoever won, right? The first thing that the winners would do, would they, they would go in and they would cut down the old banners and they would raise up these new banners and let everyone know that, like, hey, the people that were here before, they no longer rule over this thing, this castle, this kingdom. It's now us. And I just want to remind everyone tonight, there, there are people in here tonight who have been living under the banners of their sins for way too long, identifying as their sins, living under the oppression of the things that they've done. But, but I want to remind you tonight that our banners shouldn't be depression. Our banners shouldn't be anxiety. It shouldn't be fear. It shouldn't be doubt. It shouldn't be legalism. It shouldn't be lust. It should be Jesus. And we need to take some time tonight to reflect, to cut down the banners that we've been living on and raise up this new banner of Jesus and the freedom that we have in him. Because our banner is no longer our sins, right? Our banner is everything that God promises us. Our banner is freedom, sonship, forgiveness, acceptance. And those are the things that we need to be living our lives in accordance to. So we're gonna enter into a time of, of just response right now. Um, and if you need prayer, there's gonna be a ministry team up here. Again, if you wanna come and take communion, just spend some time with the Lord, reflect on sacrifice and, and what it means to for, for Jesus to come and die so that we could live in freedom. I just encourage you to do so. We're just gonna take some time uh, and re- reflect and let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the freedom that you give. Lord, that when we surrender, when we live in surrender in accordance to walking with your spirit, and we open up our hearts to true life change. God, and we let your spirit in, we find freedom. God, I just pray for people in here tonight who are, who are struggling with sin issue, with identity issue, issues, um, who have been living under the bondage of legalism or the sins of the flesh. God, I just pray that right now, as we're praying, as we're responding, that healing would come that the the bonds that people have struggled with, that we've been struggling with for so long, the the chains of those will be loosed, that we be able to to take hold of the freedom that you give us, God, only through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you. God, we want to stay positioned toward an, an attitude of expectancy, Lord. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.